You know, it's never a good sign when a five-place grid penalty only leads to conversations of, so when does he take the lead again? Lap three? Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Yeah, I haven't even got a hope-based joke on this one. This one was just beatings from beginning to end. Welcome to Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 460. I'm your host, Dre Harrison. Uh, glad you could join us as ever. And uh, guys, it's a, it's another blue beating. Like, like, you're all surprised, right? The boys are back in town, baby! Yeah. insert a clip of uh, Thin Lizzy's song uh, right there, and then it'll be perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, for those of you who had hope, abandon it. It, it was you never were wrong there to, to begin it. with. Yeah, it was, it was never there to begin with. We were all fooled, I say. Fools! You, feel- were wrong, you were wrong to expect Formula One, the pinnacle of motorsport, to be the pinnacle of competitive motorsport. This is usually what this is half the time. Well, usually not to this intensity. That only happens every once in a while. Alex Jake said on commentary that the Red Bull RB19 is destined to be the greatest Formula One car ever constructed. Is he wrong? It's it's the, the further we get into the season, the more I think they could do it. Even Sergio, Perez had a, even Sergio Perez had a good weekend. That's how you know they're back in the good books. Uh, good is extremely relative on this one. Well, good for, for good for Sergio Perez's last two months anyway. Um, we're going to talk about the 2023 Belgian Grand Prix in F1, if you hadn't already guessed by now. And yeah, um, I, it's again, never a good sign when I write my show notes going into this and I use the term battle at the front in inverted commas um, because uh, that was another battering from Max Verstappen, who now has just become the second man in history to win eight consecutive Formula One races. It's a club of two. The t- to tie history, all he's going to do is win at home in three weeks' time. Oh, good. <sighs> the, don't worry, folks. There'll only be 90,000 rabid Dutchmen cheering him on in his home, in his, in his backyard. Good, say, good luck, everybody. Fla- <laughs> you thought the flares were bad there in 21? Oh, my God. It's going to be a sea of orange. It's going to be like an Essex tanning salon out here. It's going to be brutal and ugly. Um, but uh, sharing the pain with me on this one. As you can probably guess, is our resident co-host. First up, uh, I'm not going to introduce him twice this week, just the ones. It's RJ O'Connell. How's it going, mate? Yo, what's up? Um, I will say, though, I, I need a, at least a minimum four-and-a-half-hour break before we can get into all this action. Uh, it, this, is just, this is just what's best for me, what's best mm-hmm. for the podcast. You know, it, we cannot – we can't deviate from that, folks. I, I know it would be a better idea if we just compress it all day, but, guys – I need a four and a half hour break. It's just got to happen. That's a very specific amount of time needed for a break, Mr. O'Connell, but we'll go with it. Okay, that's fine. We'll roll with it. Nothing bad could possibly happen as a direct result of a mandatory four and a half hour break in anything, I'm sure. Also with me, Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. How's it going? Well, unfortunately, as a result of the mandatory four and a half hour break, I am now speaking to you from underwater. Uh, Oh, God, so, so that's why the water level was rising on the front of the camera as we were recording this on real That's side. why the water levels are so terrible in most video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, all, all, what I'm waiting for now is like either a, a water bubble to start coming up from the ceiling of Cam's camera, or you start hearing the countdown sound. You got to make it a stealth mission. You got to make it a timed underwater stealth escort mission. Oh God! You why see, are you the this worst, is where Nicole? we. This is why we. This is where we insert the labyrinth zone theme, and I go crying in a corner. Yeah, fetal position. Yeah, rocking yourself to sleep, saying "Mama's little baby love," shortening, shortening. Um, yeah, isn't that what most like uh, submarine uh, espionage missions? Isn't that just a timed underwater stealth mission? Well, it depends if they're using a Logitech controller or not. First. No. Have we have we reached that threshold point? Anyway, yes. motorsport101.com for all of our written material and updates on podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on a number of social media platforms. 
You can indeed. You can find us um, on Instagram, Motorsport 101 Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Sorry, it should be X, but I refuse to call it that. It's like my time calling it X was about the same time the sign was on their actual headquarters. Um, So, look, look, if, if you need to know how things are going over on that platform, it made Hideo Kojima sad. <laughs> I will never Hideo- forgive him for that. How do you make Hideo Kojima sad? It makes me Ask very Konami. upset. Ask Whoa. the Konami CEOs. Uh, you never uh, want... <laughs> in no circumstance do you ever want to be compared to those running Konami. Exactly. Um, and to, for more on that, you can tune into the next episode of uh, Fuck Konami News. Thank God for them. Um, you can Thank also God for f- them. Follow, us, follow us on Twitter personally if you can at Dre underscore WTF1, at CBuckley917, and at RJ O'Connell, as he quite eloquently described as well. If you want some bonus written content, you can go on the website's blog and listen to your boy. Dre's race review on Belgian is up now, including the brand new segment called uh, Judge Dread. Um, it's totally not a play on words of my actual nickname. Um, well, I actually get to play head steward because I'm so disappointed and disillusioned with the way motorsport is being officiated. I've taken matters into my own hands. Uh, because if you want something fixed, you do it yourself, uh, quite frankly. So more on that uh, over there on the website. Also, if you're into me talking about another subject that's coming up very soon, and that's Alpine, that'll be on WTF1's website. Check the DRE section. It's, it's on there somewhere. Um, but yeah, over the course of the next hour or so, we're going to talk what about Red Bull's absolutely outrageous 13th straight beating of the f1 field yet again we'll talk a little bit about the sprint itself yes this was a sprint weekend and yes it went about as well as you'd expect for a belgian grand prix sprint weekend um and we'll talk about the fact that alpine have hit the self-destruct button in the middle of a race weekend again again why would you do this to my boy well it's sad <laughs> You'll be happy to know that your boy got out of this mess, as did seemingly literally everyone else. Forcibly, by, by the sounds of it. Um, so that, that'll that be a fun discussion. Um, also, stick around because uh, Alan Prost made some absolutely scathing remarks about this situation, which is absolutely hilarious. We might have two quote of the year contenders regarding Alpine's implosion. Yeah, there's a genius one from Otmar as well, which I didn't even get. Like, 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 I'll put it to you this way. I share a Slack group with many people you might know at the race. And when that quote dropped, like, I one of them, I won't say who, I'll spare them the embarrassment, said in capital letters, quote of the fucking year right there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's actually going to be a hard contest between that Alicia Spargaro, Eduardo Freitas. We've got a bar fight for quote of the year this year. Quote of the year for the Motorsport Awards is going to be a banger of a category this year. We might make that the main event. Like, sub the overall (laughs) athlete of the year. Give me quote of the year as the headline award. Um, Everyone has officially gone out of pocket. Indeed. And uh, if you'd like to to back us financially, if you really want to, you can at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Early access will be just a dollar across the summer break. I'm being generous on this one because it's the summer break. There's not as much going on. And uh, yeah, I was a little bit hasty rushing this all out because I can also proudly say I'm actually going to be at the British Grand Prix this weekend for MotoGP representing the race. So uh, I will be over there this weekend. It's the first time I'm ever going to a motorsport event as a member of the media. Let's uh, go! Trust me, you'll love it. The paddock doesn't know what's fucking hit them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Figuratively and literally. Um, And yeah, if you're a fan of podcasts, I'll let you in on a little secret. I will be on the Racing MotoGP podcast next weekend. This is a momentous day. (laughs) You'll know why when you hear it. Oh, yes. Harrison versus Patterson. You think you're special, you do. Um, That'll be uh, next week on the race. I do listen in for that when it comes out. Um, So yeah, I'll, I'll be over there repping and um, I'll, I'll be over there repping the race over there, which is quite a crazy thing for me. But uh, I really look forward to seeing how that gets down. So, without further ado, let's get into Formula One's Belgian Grand Prix. I need to beat you, Simon. I need it more than anything you could ever imagine. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. The main character's energy continues. It actually took 17, 17 long, grueling laps this time for Max Verstappen to take the lead in the Belgian Grand Prix after starting sixth for an unapproved gearbox change at the start of the weekend. But once he got to the lead in the Grand Prix, he dominated a win by 22 seconds, with Lewis Hamilton's fastest lap at the end being the only thing that denied Verstappen his fourth straight perfect scoring weekend. With that, Max Verstappen takes career win number 45 and becomes just the second driver ever to win eight in a row. Red Bull have won 13 consecutive races as an enterprise. It's been a lot. Uh, gentlemen, what did you guys make of the battle at the front? <laughs> you, know, you know, I think the telltale really was after it came out that he was going to take an additional gearbox, everyone just started placing bets on what lap he was going to get the lead. I won the pool. I said you, you went long. I went long. You, I said 22. Ooh. And uh, I was closest. Thankfully, we weren't playing the Price is Right rules, otherwise I would have gone over. I mean, when the Price is Right, you can never go over. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I had said eight elsewhere outside of our little circle. So, you know, <laughs> the thing is, is that most of those bets would have been wrong only because it took a stint for Max to actually, you know, try. He, he, he took his time. He took, yeah, he, 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 took, he took his time. You know, he uh, no he drag raced. He drag raced Lewis Hamilton down the camel as soon as Lewis lost DRS off of Charles, and then he drag raced Leclerc, mm -hmm. and then it was kind of a set gap between him and Perez. He was chipping away at it. Yeah, about two and a half seconds. Yeah. And then the first pit stop came. Mm -hmm. It's worth pointing out here that Red Bull did the smart thing. They gave Perez first call. On, on the pit strategy, the undercut was the strongest strategy, so you're better off coming in first because the undercut Remember was about that. Yeah, it, it was huge here. The yeah, undercut was, was insane. It was about three seconds. It was, it was about three seconds being on new tires. Like the undercut was insane around Spa this weekend. Absolutely nuts stuff. Anyway, they put Perez in first. Like Verstappen comes in a lap later, comes out about the same two and a half seconds he was before the stops. Two laps later, after the the gap was like like a lap later after his first out lap on on the tires, Max is in DRS range. I was Max just like passing him. I he caught like, him in about five sectors, Dre. I thought Perez had a mechanical issue. Yeah, we were adamant on our because we watched these races on Discord together as a family between us and some of our friends yeah. and fans of the show. And one of our guys, and I'll, and I'll mention him by name because I know he won't mind. JB actively said. He must have, a, but Perez is either, he, he was adamant Perez was letting him through or there was some kind of mechanical problem because Verstappen was on his ass a lap and a half later. He was taking out about three to four tenths a sector. It was, I mean, this is to say. Two of the sectors are basically, two of the, but two yeah, of the sectors yeah. in, in Spa are basically straight lines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... I, I described the pole lap, which didn't actually end up as a pole lap, but thank goodness that this year the FIA actually threw it up on the YouTube as Max's lap. Yeah. But in Q3, right? Okay, Max almost went out in Q2. Just barely survived Just, in P10. Yeah, by a couple of hundreds. Drying track wasn't a particularly good final lap from Max, left himself vulnerable, just about snuck in. <sighs> So then Q3 comes around, and everyone's setting laps, and it's like, okay. That was more interesting than it probably should have been in Q2. And then you see Max Max's graphic come up on the screen, and it's just a wall of purple. It's worth pointing out here, right, that the McLarens were genuinely very fast around there, especially in the middle sector because they were running more downforce on Lando Norris's car. They were running a fucking barn door on the back of the car. Right. Remember that, it becomes and, important later. And Verstappen's middle sector was three quarters of a second faster than anybody else's. The, the technical sector too, so obviously looking at most of the camel through all the way to Stavolo, essentially, because that's sector two around Belgium. That is yeah. the technical sector, that's the meat of the lap. Three quarters of a second quicker and eventually eight temps With quicker than the field. With half as much rear wing as the McLarens were running. Oh, wow. This is yeah. such a busted combination. This is I one mean, of the best. Exactly that. I mean, you've got 
a generational talent on a ferocious, ruthless streak. Mm-hmm. Which came through a little bit on the radio a few times because we love a good bit of joking around with some engineers. Why do you say? have Red Bull's car, which is just beyond everyone else's on aero efficiency. And then you had Honda's engine, which was visibly just annihilating everything at the end of straights because of their ERS. Yeah. We'll talk about Alpine a little bit later, but I think that I think that thirty to thirty-three to forty horsepower deficit. That they're rumored to have. I actually think that might be lowballing it, given how <laughs> ass their ERS system was. Uh, they, they couldn't pass people with flat tires down the straights. It was. Um, I, I joked that it was Max unholy. Has, I, I, I joked during the race and that outlap that Max put together that he had discovered Ultra Instinct halfway through sector two on his outlap because that was that was utterly outrageous. That was, was like, zero dark LeBron mode. Oh, <laughs> not wrong. Ricky, yeah, it Ricky, was, it was Ricky like... Henderson's God mode from Secret Base, um, because holy shit, that was like. I mean, I, I, I need to stress this: Sergio Perez is a very, very good racing driver. He has won multiple Grand Prix. I had him. No, I had him in my top ten drivers of the entire decade of the 2010s. He deserved it for being, for me, the best midfielder in F1 during that time period. He was worthy of that spot. He got he was obliterated blown into the weeds by about, on average, three quarters of a second a lap for the entire race. But I mean, Max pulled 22 seconds in, in 27 laps in the lead. Yeah. But it's about 0.7 of a second a lap on average uh, in the same car. Perez hasn't got an answer for him. Perez hasn't got a prayer. No one, no one no has one an does. answer for him. I mean, this was Red Bull's second biggest winning margin of the year. A measly 32 seconds clear of Charles Leclerc in third, who actually put together a really decent weekend, which is to say basically ran the whole race in no man's land. Fast yeah, enough yeah. to keep Lewis at bay behind, but could not yeah. trouble the Red Bulls worth a damn. Charles deserves a mention because he, he he was pretty much flawless this weekend and did brilliantly for Ferrari yeah. then. It's only fair if we haunt them at every opportunity that it's only fair we give them some due when they do drive well and the player was fantastic this weekend. Oh, it's no, 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 but their haunts is because they don't have a great lead driver, you know, just like we said about the last lead driver that wasn't up to snuff or the last guy before him or the last guy before him. Charles Leclerc You know, maybe now- Michael Schumacher wasn't up to snuff. If, no I mean, people is, said this before the turn of the millennium when they won that first championship, and then he proved everybody uh, wrong real, no, real fast. No one in F1 history has won more pole positions in F1 without winning a world title than Charles Leclerc. That was number 20. <laughs> my, my dude got pole without even getting pole just to hurt his pole-to-win ratio even because more. Because they changed the definition after the sprint weekend so that the person that starts the Grand Prix from the first spot now inherits pole. So Leclerc gets, goes down in the books as a Leclerc pole position, so he's up to 20, which ties him for Valtteri Bottas for the most without winning a title. Wait, and, and, I mean, if you want just a, a, a microcosm of Red Bull's advantage... Over the field, just watch Perez down the camel, just draft Leclerc and drive by him wearing twice as much rear wing. Yeah, Leclerc's lead lasted a kilometer and a half. What the hell is that? Uh, Some some, some British invention. Um, Oh my God, but but yeah, like, we are now closing it. If If you know your real deep F1 history, of course you have McLaren's extraordinary 1988. I need to correct y'all because the metric system was a French invention. Of course. Of course it was the French. More on the French later. Uh, (laughs) More on the French later. But if you know, you know the, the, the consecutive win record should probably actually belong to Ferrari from 52 to 53. Mm. Remember the Indy 500, whatever, Whatever the hell that is. Indianapolis, F1 didn't it's even part, know what to think of the Indy 500 at the time. But it included in the championship. Well, Ferrari went 14 straight between 52 and 53, only interrupted by a pair of Indy 500, so technically it doesn't count. Well, Red Bull's going to bulldoze that next race, too. Again, is anybody betting against Verstappen in his own backyard? Um, no. 
fuck no. Um, and, and, and you need to look at it like this. Like, it's not it's not just the car as well, and it's not even just Max as well. It's the fairly bulletproof reliability because we know Saudi Arabia was finger trouble on that drive shaft. Mm. The car's been bulletproof. The strategy team's been bulletproof. Red Bull in 2021 honed Red Bull into an operational wrecking machine. They had and two, they've never they had, wavered from it. Yeah, they had two bad pit stops in the race, and they were three point twos. Yeah, they, we thought that he had. Uh, they had, might have stripped the wheel nut on Perez's car. Thankfully, not for him. Mm. Um, yeah, their, their their definition of a bad step pit stop is a three point two. <laughs> what the hell? Which is what, what the hell is this? That's like what point three of a second above average. I mean, I can come remember. On when, I can remember when three point twos were extraordinary. Yeah. We had a 1.9 last week, for fuck's sake. I mean, holy hell. Um, the time corrected 1.9. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, Cam, yeah Cam, Cam, Cam's absolutely spot on. This is not just the car, which is phenomenal. It's not just Max, who is having the greatest run of form we've ever seen in this sport. It's not even the combination of those two things, which we all know is otherworldly. It's 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 operational excellence from top to bottom. Christian Horner is running an incredible team. Everything is on point. They've mm-hmm. barely put a foot wrong all year long. Um, you know, they've executed in almost every major department. Hannah Schmitz, I will I will only sing her praises more as a woman in motorsport who's killing it as the best strategist in the sport as well. I mean, it's maybe not quite as difficult to job when the car is so good. But um, again, when she was called upon last year in some tight scenarios, like Zanvoort last year, let's not forget, she was spot on with that call. Uh, a bit too good to the point where she got abused on social media for it, because isn't it a wonderful time to be on X? Fucking X. Anyway, but yeah, uh, it's, 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 and it's not just as well. Like they reeled off a 33 second win over the nearest car in Hungary. And that was a slow, slow ish winding track that was all about tire deg. And here, it being all about aero efficiency and how good the lump is in the back of your car, they won by 32 seconds over the nearest car. Right. Um, this nice. thing's bag of tricks is a well that never ends. Um, yeah. the, and indeed, Christian Horner even said at the end of the race, oh yeah, Max was only pushing for some of the race. <laughs> like, he was going so fast on his final stint that he, like, like his engineer GP was like, you took a lot of tire out of that outlap. It didn't fucking matter. It just didn't. Yeah, just, Max was joking on the radio about coming in for pit stop practice to pull a pit stop gap, which he did. Unfortunately, they didn't bring the car in and it, uh, it opened the door for Lewis to get fastest lap taught one lap to go fresh mediums. But even that fastest lap was only about a second quicker than Verstappen's with the car still having a decent amount of fuel left. And an overcut that was worth an undercut that was worth three seconds. Yeah. If I look back on this weekend, giant, this weekend, yeah, fresh tires are good. If I look back at this week and I say the one time that like Matt Verstappen oversteered up the hill at Eau Rouge was hmm. probably the closest we came to the streak ending. Yeah, and Perez finished second anyway, so <laughs> what did it matter? And by the time they got to the line, he would have had a pit stop in hand. It would have been if they had have boxed him with three to go, it would have been incredibly close. The Max could have won anyway. It would have been yep. borderline victory for Max. It would have been very, very close because it was about 21 seconds for a dry pit stop around Spa that weekend. He won by 22. It would have been tight. Probably a final lap showdown, most likely for the win because, like as, as Cam said, the, the undercut was cracked around this track this weekend. This is the state of Red Bull. Um, we are right now currently in what I like to call Patrick Starr. Can you move it along? We're running out of superlatives mode here at the moment. Can you just sim the season? Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's... They could lose every race from here. <laughs> they could take the rest of the year off and you could still throw this thing up with the F2002, the W07... And indeed, the MP44. Yeah. What a machine. What a driver. Yeah. What a team. Yeah. Uh, Max, Verstappen, Max Verstappen on his own is leading the Constructors' Championship by 64 points. 
I didn't ever think that Red Bull could make a car better than the RB6 at the time. No, the, and the RB6 was an incredible machine. That, that, that one, was it 13 Grand Prix that year? Something RB9. Like that. The RB9 113. car. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, these last two cars make the RB9 look pathetic. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Right, Can I also look. shout out before we move on that Yuki Tsunoda finished 10th in the points? Yuki Tsunoda! Yoinks! 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 It's a Yuki and points! It, it, it probably should have been even better. I mean, he ran that car P6 to P7 for most of the race. Unfortunately, both Alpha Tauri drivers got pretty sh different, pretty shit strategies in the end because of when the rain came down in the race who benefited from it and when people pitted. Yuki got undercut by three or four drivers, and Ricardo held out for the rain, which only ended up being a mild uh, shower. Yeah, not enough to force the field onto Winters, um, unfortunately. And But it's still a priceless point for Alpha Tari. And a nice response to giving that. A lot of people were very quick to get on the Ricardo's back, and he's coming for Perez hype train last week. Great response from Yuki Tsunoda. He needed that, and that was the, arguably his best weekend of the year. Ted, uh, you should probably check who the real lead driver at AlphaTauri is. Oh, you, you, you telling me that Ted Kravitz uh, stirs the pot but gets away with it because he's universally beloved? Never. Um, who's to say? Who's to say? Anyway, <laughs> Spa was a sprint weekend, and the sprint itself was reduced from 15 to 11 laps after a 35-minute rain delay. As a result, we had another discussion about the state of wet weather running in Formula 1 and the use of the extreme wet tyre that was dumped by the teams in the race within two laps of the restart. What did you make of the spectacle? Um, that's, not, that's not a good sign when you two shed the same brain cell for a second there. That was great. <laughs> uh, no, no, I just, uh, I think that, like, you know, Formula 1 has a spray problem and... I think we could, it's funny because like the extreme wet, we've always talked about, it moves too much water for it to be a good race tire because it's utterly useless. Dre will get into this, but like mm. they tested like the, the tire covers and that apparently has not worked as intended, not even close. So then you're thinking like, you, you got to start like forcing like, teams to redesign their diffusers for this sort of thing precisely uh, I, mean, I mean i mean the abnormal weather is only going to get weirder <laughs> if, yeah, if trends continue well i mean it all a lot of it really just goes back to when they went to the giant tires in 2017 and these tires are still of similar size Bigger tires are more likely to aquaplane, easy for me to say, in the wet, which means you need to make a more aggressive tire that moves more water and that, first of all, destroys your visibility in an open wheel car. And the tire is so slow because it's so compromised to move all that water that you're better off just throwing the inter on. And if it's worse, if it's bad enough to be beyond inters, your visibility is probably so bad because of these giant tires that there's nothing you can really do and you're going to have to park the cars. And weather conditions-wise, if it's too wet for Inters, chances are we're not racing anyway now these days because the F... Yeah, visibility is too bad. Yeah, visibility is bad and the FOM has generally taken a more cautious approach in the last two years to extreme bad weather which I'm fine with. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. I would rather, if, if, if we're going to swing on that side of the pendulum, I'd much rather they take the more cautious approach every time, in my opinion. So um, in, in, to borrow a phrase I used to say when I was an MMA writer, um, I'd rather see a fight stopped early than late. Um, so and I, I would apply that same logic to F1. The oh, Dre, by the, way, by the way, Dre, happy mm -hmm. August 1st warning anniversary day for me to you. <sighs> hmm. But, but that's that. exactly it, Trey. <laughs> it's, it's been a more cautious approach in the last couple of years because visibility deteriorates so badly when using the extreme ones that you just can't race in them. Yeah, that's too good to their job. It's, 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 they have to uh, be. Yeah, like, and I've had people argue with me on this since writing DRR about it and talking about it, and but I need to make this point. The Pirelli Intermediate is a genuinely incredible tire. It doesn't get the... <laughs> 
It's, it's arguably too good at its job too because right. it covers such a, a wide range of conditions it does so, like it, it's like the old if anyone remembers them as the v10 era and bridgestone's intermediate tire it's the same principle here it was an incredible tire in that it's got a wide operation of use it clears a ton of water off a track we saw it in spa when it stopped raining the inters were clearing the tracks within 15 20 minutes of running it was borderline slick conditions again uh, I know Spa's very good drainage-wise, but even then, the Inters clear off a ton of water very quickly. It's got, it, it, it can, it's durable. It can last a long time if looked after in the right way. If it continues to rain, um, as long as it's not on a Ferrari. As long as it's not on a Ferrari, of course. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key asterisk. It's worth pointing out. And like I said, it can cover you all the way up until it's undrivable conditions. Because, like I said, if you can't race on, on on an Inter, you're not racing at all in modern-day F1. It's an incredible tyre that's actually probably a bit too good at its job. Say what you will about Pirelli, and I have many a problem with mm -hmm. Pirelli. Their intermediate tyre is incredible. Like, it is objectively brilliant at its job. A little well, bit well, too good at too. its job. Well, well <laughs> that's just it as well, is that you got, you've got the bigger tyres, which means you have to make the Inter really more of a traditional wet tyre. Mm. because really the inter now fits the wet tire archetype the extreme wet is really the monsoon tire of old right. where the only thing that it's good at is clearing water and because the inters have such a wide operating window you don't need a more traditional inter which is really just a slightly grooved slick if yeah, um, if, for, if formula one wants to go down this road of trying to make the sport more sustainable which i'm fine with of course yeah. Um, like, why don't you just get rid of the extreme wet entirely? Use the Inter like IndyCar, just the one compound of wet tire. Give them five sets over the weekend instead of the seven you're bringing to an average weekend with Inters and extreme wets, and have done with it. I've, there, I've saved you twenty percent of your wet tire usage overnight because you're not racing on extreme wets anymore. It's like it's it's pointless. Well, if there you want to cover the different conditions for what they don't cover. Just make two different compounds of the inter tread tire. Right. So, like, it's, uh, I, I, I think, I think Peretti needs to have a serious sit down and work this out with the teams because I think that is a problem. The bigger problem, uh, the other problem I have at the moment is the fact that for some silly reason, the sport insisted there had to be a 4.5 hour delay between the sprint shootout on a Saturday morning and the actual sprint race itself. Uh, and I, I wrote about this when this format change came out in Baku, and I stand by it. I, one of the points I made about it when I was breaking it down was, why was there a mandatory four-and-a-half-hour gap? Now, I was told it was because you've got to get the junior racing in between all of that. That junior shit is flexible. That shit can move around. Like, the only place you're broadcasting most of that is either a TV channel or your own F1 TV network. You yeah, can yeah. move shit around. I can attest to this. I covered SRO America for like a whole season last year. They had a bunch of series on the undercard of GT World Challenge and whatever weird weather happened. Oh, buddy, those lower events were flexible as you can get. Oh, 100 percent. Like, look, no one really cares about the juniors that much. OK, it's OK. No one's going to kill you if you move an F2 sprint race around. OK, this is not to me for me insulting them. It's just. It's for the hardcore of the hardcore fans. If you're going out of your way to intentionally watch an F3 race, like, UI hardcore motorsport fan, that's not something you watch casually. Yeah. Not in a million years. So move the middle stuff, like move the, the support card around. That's what mm. I'm getting at here. Because my point I made on Twitter was, if you were prepared to delay the sprint shootout by up to an hour when it was originally declared on Saturday morning, to get it in and not have to resort to the alternative, which, by the way, if it was an alternative, they would have used Friday's qualifying session to determine the grid, which was already a mess because people originally thought it was going to be championship order. The FIA had to clarify during the delay, oh, no, it actually isn't championship order. It's We're just going to take Friday's qualifying session to form the grid anyway. Um, if you're prepared to delay that by an hour to get that shootout underway, you do not need a four-and-a-half-hour gap. You do not need to kick the can down the road to keep it all as a level playing field. You've got contingency time built into your schedule. Use it. That's what it's there for. MotoGP does that all the time. 
to flex towards the TV networks. They've even thought of the TV networks in mind. It's why there's often an hour between the end of Moto2 and the MotoGP main event. One, is contingency time, and two, the TV networks still get their hour of pre-show before the main event. And they'll cut laps off races to make it work. Like, that's the whole idea. They're far more flexible than Formula One is in this scenario. And it came back to bite them in the ass because if they'd actually done the sprint race in its original time slot at 4.30 in the afternoon, local time, they'd have gotten the race off dry without the embarrassing 35-minute rain delay we got for it in the end. And four laps taken off a sprint race, which is already sh short to begin with. You turned it into an 11-lap sprint. <laughs> like... Why? Uh, okay. Um, I I looked back at the Hamilton Perez collision and I was like, Oh yeah. I I thought five seconds was a bit much. I thought Perez blocking him down Blanchemont was a bit much. And you know me for the rest of the season, I am going to play the role of Sergio Perez's number one defender as I did in 2013 at that no good, awful season. McLaren, regardless, that, that didn't deserve five seconds for Lewis Hamilton. I, I'm not going to go completely crazy about it, but yeah, it's, it's silly. Um, also shout outs to a formula three race that was stopped short of two green flag laps. Everybody thought it was going to get zero points, but they decided, you know, these kids have done enough. Let's just give them half points anyway. It's not been the best week for the FIA and its officiating this week. I'm just throwing that out there. We were recording our Formula E season finale directly after this, and there was some bullshit in that one too. Um, so uh, more on that later is what I would say. But no, I'm in, I'm in agreement with RJ. I think the punishment in for all parties did not fit the crime. Perez didn't deserve to have a giant hole punched in his side pod from what was quite minor contact. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I'd like to, everybody insists, right, that you punish based on the action and not the reaction. And I, my, me personally watching that incident in real time and on replay was like, if you're going only by the action, there is no way that Hamilton's incident deserved five seconds. I think they were swayed by the damage on Perez's car and felt like they had to make a call on it. And I'm, I don't like how that sort of logic of officiating goes down because I believe you punish someone based on the crime rather than the consequences. That's that's just, I think that's an easier way of handling it than going, oh, well, it fucked Perez's car out of the race, even if it was the lightest of touches. But, you know, I guess we've got to hit, hit Hamilton with a drive-through. I mean, that's... Make, make it make sense. I mean, Cam, am I, am I talking crazy here? I don't even know at this point. Like, <laughs> what, like, like if, I, if, I, if I say that he didn't deserve it, I'll get crucified. If I say that the five-second penalty was deserved, I'll get crucified. How do you like to talk about. <laughs> how, would I, how would I like to get people bitching at me on the socials? Um, oh, God. Uh, do we think I, th that... I think you put it I think you put it pretty well in the race review. I've seen them given. Would I have given yeah. five seconds for it? Probably not. But I can see how the stewards got there. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't have given five seconds. Mm. No. Yeah, well, what are you saying, RJ? Uh, do we think that, you know, there should be more of a car's length ahead to have the right to the corner? rather than just well, just the nose that should be like half the length of the car. I, I I don't like the rules of engagement talk because overtaking is a very fluid thing. Absolutely. And I think and I think George Russell is extraordinarily guilty of this. Uh, where massively. He all he will constantly cite the rules as well, I stuffed my car into this disappearing wedge and I got enough of my car alongside, therefore it was my corner. It's not that simple. No. Um, and in this case, it, if you l break the incident down, first of all, Lewis detonated the Senna quote. And anytime anyone uses the Senna <sighs> quote ever, they immediately wait, lose wait, the benefit wait, of the doubt. Wasn't it Checo that said that? No, that was, was Lewis. Was Lewis said if you no longer go for the gap, which oh. pretty much instantly, instantly detonates any benefit of the doubt that you'll ever get. 
I, I, um, I, I hate when people use that phrase, which was massively taken out of context, and use it to justify their Gap dodgy car. racecraft. If Gap car. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not a new thing in that regard, but not at all. Lewis was on the inside. Lewis clipped the wet curb, understeered out, and hit Perez. On most scenarios, he probably, they probably have a light touch and move on. In this case, it can open Perez's car. Um, one of them things. Yeah. I've seen them given. I get how the stewards got there. Doesn't necessarily mean that I would have done the same. Yeah, that's exactly what I said in my post about it. I like I used I compared it to a penalty call in a game of soccer, where I basically just said, "Look, I've seen those given. I wouldn't have given it, but I but I don't think it's a look, I don't think it's a howler of a decision. I can see why the stewards got to the the, the if decision. If you're gonna apportion blame, you're gonna apportion it to Hamilton. Absolutely, but it it depends on how you look at. It depends on how you look at how that contact happened. Um, I will, but don't don't go saying, "Oh well, I hit him." Well, I went for a gap. I'm like, the thing is about going for a gap, and anyone who's ever done any sim racing and doesn't just race in pub lobbies where you get blown up knows this. The gap might be there, but if you're overtaking, it's usually your responsibility to make sure that you don't cross over the other person's line. Yeah, that's that's literally in the FIA sporting guide. I think that's how they got there. I think that's how they got there is when he was on his inside, he hit the curb, he failed to hold his line, and the car on the outside paid the price. Yeah, like that's... But that that happens. It's literally in the FIA sporting code. The onus is on the passing car to do so safely. That's... That's the other rule. That's that's the other rule of engagement that George Russell doesn't like to cite as much as the well. I had a front wheel next to his rear wheel. That means I have the corner. No, <laughs> like, like, like. And I need to make o- this point. overtaking is too fluid a thing to boil no. it down. To. Actually, I'm the faster car because I'm the better driver. Therefore, I deserve the corner, and they should just move out of my way. Yeah, you tell me your Grand Turismo Seven Circuit experience lap times. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Uh, no, so like I, I, I generally have this notion of, and it's taken me a while to get to this point. You need to look at these incidents on a case by case basis. You like, having a blanket set of rules of engagement is not going to work for in every single scenario. It's a very fluid. It's a very dynamic, constantly changing game of numbers uh, in regards to how a racing incident goes down and whether it needs to be punished or not, and like. A lot of it will boil down to what the individual judge in its gray gray area is, and you know what's the, like. Everybody's approach to that is going to be different, so you're never going to get a unified consensus on most driving errors like that. So, I, like I said, I wouldn't have given it, but I could totally see how somebody might have gotten there. Totally. Um, but uh, speaking of batshit crazy stuff, should we talk a bit about Alpine? Yo, let's uh. talk about the French. Alpine oh. also made significant headlines as it was suddenly announced that Otmar Safnauer, team principal of the team, was departing the team after the Belgian Grand Prix via mutual consent, as well as sporting director Alan Permain. Permain, a 34-year veteran of the team based in Enstone, which means he's overseen four different identity changes. Bruno Femin has come in as interim team principal and said that he and Otmar, quote, weren't on the same page regarding the, quote, project. Gentlemen, just what in the is going on at Alpine? Um, are you taking this first or am I, Cam? It look how you massacred my boy as team principal, <laughs> one of the, the first people that ever gave me a sat down interview in the F one paddock. Uh, you bring you bring him in and you and you got him thinking that he's the reason for all the bullshit you've been having. I I, I need to point out before I, before I get started here. And I know I've joked about this sort of mentality before on this show. Hmm. When I say Otmar is generally one of the genuine good people in F1, I'm not just saying that because he's bad at his job to, as a cover. He is genuinely one of the good dudes in this sport. Look at what he did with Force India. When when their billionaire owner was running for the law at the time, Otmar was running the team, and he was running it damn good. 
He's an, they were he, he's a very pound one of the best yeah. teams in the sport. He's he's a very good team principal, and I sincerely hope he lands on his feet because Otmar was 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 DOA when he joined Alpine. That was a team that had too many cooks, and I'd said it had too many cooks for a long, long time before we got to this point. Alpine have low key been. And I've joked about this, but I've said it publicly now. I said it on WTFun's website earlier this week. They are the Tottenham of F1 teams. Yeah! They are not terrible, because Tottenham are not a terrible football team. They're actually Tottenham's not getting relegated. No, like they're not. They're not a terrible team. They're a good football team, but we we laugh at their general incompetence. Um, And Alpine has always had an air of general incompetence about them, and this has been a hot mess and i think a lot of people have not been drawn in by it. and look there's there were some telltale signs that had me immediately worried about a lot of this first of Go all on. bruno famine on that same first press conference after otmar's departure was announced in the space of one press conference and one sit down with the written press he mentioned the word project 16 times which is uh is this related to the five-year plan or the hundred race plan or whatever plan we're on? We are yeah. on the uh, one hundred executive plan. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good plan. I don't, I don't see how it could possibly go wrong. Um, yeah, th- like th- we've had two very similar, very you know, publicly embarrassed and shamed five-year-long, roughly because hundred races roughly about five seasons mm-hmm. anyway these days. Two five-year plans that have both failed the first one when carlos ghostin was ceo before you know carlos ghostin do crime um the first one was like we're gonna be championship contenders in five years they had i think four podiums as a team in five years and no wins yeah, their best finish under that was uh yeah fourth in the constructors and fun fact in that 2018 um constructors performance None of the upper staff are still there. They are all gone. Yeah, everybody since the start of that 2016 return to F1 under Renault, none of the senior management are still there. In fact, they've shuffled through multiple positions with multiple people since then. In fact, Uh, there is one overarching thing that has been retained from 2018, and indeed even further in the past. That Renault engine is a fucking stinker. Yeah, because there was a, there was talk going into this weekend that there might be as much as thirty five horsepower down on the field. And we talked about did we see it? Yeah, because both Alpines. Now the Alpine chassis, while not incredible, is not bad. It's solid. It is a solid upper midfield car. In fact, on the chassis side, they're probably as good as a couple of the teams ahead of them, if not better. But. It was a chore to pass anything going down the straights. The only thing that they could pass was the McLarens, and the McLarens would just pass them back in Sector 2 because they were running so much more wing. Didn't um, – was it? I mean, am I tripping? But 15 years ago, didn't F1 implement an engine freeze because Renault were also making weak, underpowered V8 engines, and it would allow – everybody else to – it would allow Renault to catch up while everybody else just stays in place – they actually lifted, um, they partially lifted the freeze going into 09 for Renault, and not that we knew it at the, at the time they'd be leaving the Honda, to address the shortcomings of their V8, because in 2007, they were ass. And then in 2008, they were also ass. Yeah. Um, but, but look, like Pierre Gasly couldn't pass, he, he couldn't pass the Jeff from Top Gear going down the camel. <laughs> Because he get about halfway down the straight, and then they would just run out of ERS charge. It actually starts slowing down with DRS open in the slipstream of another car. And if you are fighting with 30, 35 horsepower down compared to, I mean, even Mercedes, who don't have the strongest engine anymore, that's a, that's insurmountable. It's and insur- it's this a, yeah. year, mm. sorry to cut you dry. No, no, go for it. They got leapfrogged by a team that started off debatably the worst team in F1 last year with Aston Martin. Up there. And they, the team that was arguably the worst team in F1 to start this year 
have done they dunked 58 to nothing on their heads two races in a row and then still outscored them here despite having the worst start to the race they possibly could yeah oscar piastri the hot hand going for a podium spot to start was the race. leading the sprint yeah let his, let, his, let his first laps in F1 and you know finished second in the sprint, brought home seven more points for McLaren. Race mm-hmm. lasted 10 seconds, um, effectively, because uh, Scott signs locked up into the side of his car and broke his steering system. I like Oscar. That boy that, nice. That boy nice. Um, and I want to talk a bit more about some of the management sides of this as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. look. Alan Prost is a bit of... Is, I can understand if Alan Prost is a bit salty because him and former CEO Lauren Rossi did not get along, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I would also understand, like, if you if you want to take Alan Prost's word with a grain of salt because, oh, he oversaw his own F1 team and it was a failure and, oh, his time at Renault wasn't successful. But, like, he is still a four-time champion and his words still hold weight. And, boy, <laughs> these words were heavy. He, he did an interview with Lequeep, the French newspaper, where he said, this is how he described Lauren Rossi, and I quote, <clears throat> Lauren Rossi is the most beautiful example of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I would never think Alan Prost would ever say. Like, Lauren Rossi is the most beautiful example of the Dunning-Kruger effect, that of an incapable leader who thinks he can overcome his incompetence by his arrogance and lack of humanity towards his troops. <laughs> Busting out Dunning Kruger fat references. I, I, I was flabbergasted when I first. I was like, my man broke out the Dunning Kruger effect. What? I just they stink. This this is horrible. This is shameful. From out. Um, yeah, go on. How many team principals? Like Bruno Firmin being interim team principal will now make it their fourth in the last two and a half years. Okay. Good. Do, do, do you remember the Marcin Budkowski era? Do you, does anybody? No. <laughs> Quick. No. Do you remember Mr. when? Uh, huh? Do you remember um, that we are now? I think they've been through three engine chiefs. Yeah. Um, Bruno Firmin being one of them. Directors. Bruno Firmin, who uh, built a hell of an engine in the back of this uh, French diesel car in the late two thousands. You may remember it from. Uh, Gran Turismo 5 and 6. Decent call. Um, um, a bit fast. He's, um, he, he's now into it, it, he's it's now astounding to me. Team principal, yeah. Like, and let's, 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 let's run down a quick list of the key figures that have since gone. We mentioned Marcin Budakowski. That was only 18 months ago, may I point yeah. out, yeah. That, he was, that he was moved on from the Renault group and replaced. And does anybody remember when Hyundai Cyril Abitable was in charge of this project? That was only three years Unfortun- ago. <laughs> Unfortunately, we he got fired. We thought, okay, like now they might be getting somewhere. Right. Um, I mean, they've also just lost Pat Fry. Pat Fry is going back to Williams. Yeah, Pat Fry. Um, they've lost their technical director. Ch- yeah, former chief technical officer Pat Fry was poached by Williams. I got. I have pretty exclusive word from that from a friend of mine that actually works for Williams. Pat was on the way out months ago, apparently. Pat. Pat. He Pat wanted to go to a team the- with. He wanted to go to a team with upside. Yeah, Pat yeah, Fry. Williams. Yeah, Pat Fry would rather go to Williams, and he knew the writing was on the wall. Apparently, months ago, he's got. Let's reiterate, Dre. Mm. Williams died in 2020. Right. The Williams that team as we know it died. Is dead. Right. Like they're gone. Pat they're, Fry practically is Practically speaking, they are Williams in name only. Warren Rossi is gone. Who was the CEO that came in to start 2022? Only hired two years ago, moved to special projects. This is the guy that came up with the same 100 race plan, essentially word for word that Carlos Gosen came out with and failed spectacularly with just one win since then. Um, and again, he was allegedly not popular, allegedly, well, you know, pissed off a lot of people in Alpine's camp when he eviscerated Snafnauer and there was the rest no of the team in Miami. Yeah. He was publicly panning the team. While the team is just trying to basically get get up off its ass yeah. from a fairly underwhelming first half of the year, and I mean that was even before McLaren came out of nowhere with a completely redesigned car and overhauled them in a space of about a, one race. Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's been moved to special projects. He's been replaced by Philip Kreef, the former vice president of engineering. Fernando Alonso, the two-time world champion, 
that was bailed. meant to has bailed on them. He actually pulled Otmar's pants down on the way out the poor guy with the whole of the barkle the same day that the another key member of their roster went. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But let's not forget Otmar pretended like he was on a Greek island, you know, unavailable by phone and had promised him that he was gonna sign the new deal only to join Aston Martin the same day, mere days after Sebastian Vettel had announced his retirement, shocking the world on Instagram. Um, I genuinely thought that Alpine deal was going to be Alonso's last, but no, no, apparently not. No, goes and signs a two-year deal with Aston Martin, and he's, and he's killing it at Aston Martin right now in a genuine fight for third in the championship this year, his best season in a decade. Um, Oscar, Oscar Piastri. Oscar Piastri, gone. Happy one-year anniversary. Like it, the the <laughs> one-year anniversary of that is literally tomorrow. Like technically in the UK, because because uh, the tweet was originally at seven PM tomorrow on August second. Um, we were recording this on August first. Oh, the anniversary God. of the Oscar Piastri contract debacle is tomorrow. When, in case you forgot, that was the same day Alonso was announced he was going to Aston Martin. Was also the same time that Oscar Piastri had embarrassed Alpine by because Alpine did not read their contract language properly. And Alpine had thought that Piastri was obligated to drive one of their cars if a seat had become available. Turns out that was bullshit. It was not true. And Oscar Piastri then announces that same week that he doesn't want to go to Alpine. He's not racing for them next year. And about a couple of months later after being settled in a courtroom, he goes to McLaren and is now flourishing as McLaren's rookie alongside Lando Norris. Um, oh, by the way, all this in the same rookie year of Zhou Guan Yu at not Alpine and at Christian and for Christian Lungard at not Formula One. Yeah, Alpine IndyCar- Academy, common success. Yeah, IndyCar race winner Christian Lungard. Um, yeah, that, that is just a sprinkling of the key staff that Alpine have lost in just the last eighteen months. But you know who they gained? Who they got? Ryan Reynolds and Ron McElhaney. That's worth something, right? And I, I don't, I, I don't understand the logic. Now, if we are rumored, so this is the point I want to make here for a second, right? And if I know, if I'm, if I'm bullshitting here, feel free to interrupt me at any point, right? Hmm. The teams are digging in about the possibility of an 11th or 12th team being added, right? Yeah, 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 yeah cool. They're, they're being stupid about it, right? They're digging their heels in about this, right? Their yep. claim, the biggest claim that we've heard, which is a genuinely honest claim, and there's some validity to this claim, is that their spot in the sport is worth a lot more than it was when they signed the anti-dilution agreement for the last Concord deal in 2020, right? That's right. In that, right. In that case, the, the solution should just be, I don't know, give more money to more teams. I don't know, just a thought. Go That's on. what I'm saying, right? If, if, the, if they're so sure that the teams are worth more now than they were in 2016 when they when Liberty Media took over, which probably is. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. If they're so sure that the teams are now worth so much more, why would they sell 24% of their team? Ooh, I'm not um, going to say they're, I'm not going to say they're getting out just yet, but now, now that I think about it, the chance is not zero. Now, right now would be the perfect opportunity because we are in the waning days of these engine regulations. Like we, like we, like Alpine was prepared to sell a quarter of their team to inject two hundred million euros into this team. Why would they do that? And I'm going to give you the Brian Windhorst finger point for a second here from the NBA for a minute here. I, I can't help but shake the feeling of if you're running a sports franchise and the value of said franchise is only going up why would you cash out at least a, f- a portion of it now um i think they're potentially setting up to get one foot out of the door as a as a constructor right because i feel like they would stick around as a power unit supplier maybe but, maybe but, as a supplier but but, but but why because like because there's the first time alpine gets any sense of adversity they fucking bail They've done it multiple times in the past. Whenever oh, I, I am agreeing with you, yeah, yeah, like, I agree but, with you. But yeah. like, why would they even stick around? Like, now would be the perfect time to just bolt. Yeah, drop the whole thing. Ryan Reynolds Consortium bought a quarter of that team at a roughly eight hundred million pound valuation. And Rob McElhaney. can't forget the guy from Always Sunny. I'm uh, Michael and B. Jordan, Mr. Cross himself. Oh yes. 
and, and if you're that team, I mean, if they do end up leaving, why would you stick with the Renault engine? Because it's a boat anchor. It, 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 Renault will have gone through the, an entire regulation set, having never had anything resembling even a good engine, let alone the best engine. You know, come to think about it, there is another firm that wants to form an alliance with uh, with Alpine and Renault in some kind that just so happens to be working with a prospective Formula One entrant. And they like putting stickers on things. Honestly, I would expect them to just do their own engine eventually. Potentially, but... Michael is Mike. We know who we're talking about here. Michael Andretti has was been more than prepared to buy out an F1 team to get a spot on the grid that way. That was plan yeah. A when he tried he to get broke. into F1 in the first place. And allegedly, his attempt to buy 80% of Sauber was at a $350 million valuation. He's got cash, significant cash. If he wants to buy a heavy chunk of Alpine right now, he could. And I think it's probably worth even given that he's in partnership with General Motors and General Motors has openly said, we will pay whatever the anti-dilution fee is to get in. They have more than enough money to potentially buy out Enstone if they wanted to. I think they could buy out Enstone, but I don't like I don't see Renault sticking around if they leave. As just, an engine supplier. Just, a, just a total jettison altogether. You if you want, if you're serious about winning championships, you don't have a Renault engine in the back of your Formula One car these days. No, end of. Not in the state they're in now. No, I agree. Not, not right now. Not in the state. Uh, it's been nine years. They're yeah. trash. F1 is having to talk about engine equalization because they're trash enough that it's beyond the theoretical three percent that they it's, would allow engines to be rebalanced. This this is the history of the Tottenham. Like for me, overall, they need to simplify their management structure. Like I said before, Otmar was DOA. He had three different bosses he had to answer to. That was never going to work. There was clear dissension in the ranks between the major parties at work. Bruno Firmin admitted as such when he talked about Otmar leaving the team. That was it was clear that they were not on the same page, which is never a good sign about senior management. Adam Prost said it himself. You keep it simple and you build around an elite driver. Alpine has done the complete opposite to that in the last half decade. They, they lost like, someone who ended up being an elite rookie and you toss Fernando Alonso out the door. And you even had Daniel Ricciardo and you could, and look, let's be this way. Daniel Ricciardo had one of the best years of his career in 2020 while already being courted by a team that was also rebuilding he already McLaren. decided to leave. He was already gone. But by, by like, he decided to leave before they lifted the COVID restrictions and we could go race again. Yes, yeah, because he he was in a situation where even though the 2020 Renault was one of the better ones they've built since the returning as a works entrant, they were still not remotely troubling anyone for a podium on normal days. No. And it was a miracle. And they have the they have one race win. They have, one they have race a win. single race win to their name since coming back as a works manufacturer. And since Red Bull ditched their engines, um, how's Red Bull doing these days? Oh, only running the quite possibly the greatest individual season F1's ever seen. It's tough. It's tough for Alpine right now, and a lot of it's of their own making because they. They just they've gotta they've gotta simplify things, but I guess I've talked to some French people that I know that say it it would not be quintessentially Alpine if it wasn't somewhat of a mess. Simplify. You've got too many cooks. These guys do not know how to cook. Simplify. Put your faith in the right person. Give them time to try and build something that works. And hey. You've had elite talent before pass through your doors. You can get it. You are prepared to spend the money to go get them. You paid 40 million quid for the right to get Daniel Ricciardo for two years. I know resources you've got money. ain't the problem. Like resources. And, and, and look at it like this. Like, like to, if you want to, if you want to put an umbrella over all of it, like how long has Christian Horner been running Red Bull? Since 2005. Since the start. 18 years. It's going pretty well. 
Toto Wolf got the reins at Mercedes basically right as they came to power. And I'd say he did a pretty decent job, even if people on Twitter want to bitch about how he supposedly doesn't have the drive to get back to the top in Formula One. You're idiots. You stink. Please, please touch some grass. He's, he's, he's one of the greatest team principals ever. How, how on earth? Obje- you- by all objective measure. Ferrari's best ever run of form was with Jean Todd and Ross Braun at the helm, insulated away from the political bullshit of Ferrari and Fiat. Right. And eventually that political bullshit did creep its way in. And how much has Ferrari won since then? Not a whole lot. If you are cycling through team principles four at a time, maybe you need a rethink of how you're running your program. It's like in sport, you know, in sport, in like regular ball sport, like to wrap this up, like sometimes, sometimes managers, they don't work out. I understand you need to make a change sometimes and things don't work out. That's what we're feeling when Cyril left and was fired. But when you get into a churn of like going through managers this quickly, then it becomes an even bigger problem. Then the manager probably isn't the problem. Yeah, yeah. What a hot mess. As you may have already gathered, Formula One is now in its summer break. Thank God We're I need free. a break. Yeah! Three weeks off. Um, F1 is back the final week of August at Zandvoort. Um, you know, that'll be a uh, spectacle and a half. A lot, lot, lot of orange, uh, I, I expect. God, I need, a, I, need a, I need a vacation from F1. Um and all of we, f1 gestures and, wildly and you know what we get to we get to double up on the vacation because you get to get formula e out of the way next episode as well because next time out we'll be reviewing their season finale in london and what a i was going to say hot mess more a damp mess that london was for their season decider this weekend because uh we got a lot to get through there but uh the best of british and american collaborations have come together to win world titles more on that in the next episode as well. And after that, we'll be MotoGP's British Grand Prix, which I, we, we'll be back for that. Don't worry. So uh, I'll, I'll be there in person, which would be great. So, yeah, that'll be that's the schedule coming up for M101. Hope you guys stick around as ever. But until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley and RJ O'Connell. And until next time, sayonara. Yeah, it's gonna be off. The beatings will be paused until they return. <laughs>